Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn, if you will, to uh, the text upon which our sermon is based today, Mark. We're in a study of Mark, the shortest of the Gospels, uh, the biographies of Christ, this, uh, this shortest of the Gospels, uh, also short uh, uh, little passages, short little hits. Uh, we call them snapshots of Christ, snapshots of the life of Jesus, of His grace. And each snapshot gives us a greater understanding of what He's meant to accomplish in, in our lives and in our world. Each snapshot, just like the snapshots of your life, you know, when I show pictures of my, of my kids or my grandkids, for that matter, um, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, of, of the wedding of my daughter, of the graduation of my, of my other daughter from grad school, of, of different trips that we've taken. I'm giving you a snapshot. You can't know everything, but you can know something vital. And often when I'm trying to show you me, I'm showing you these pieces, these, these little moments of uh, exciting experiences. And that's what Mark's doing. He's taking this little snapshot version, these great stories of Christ, the, what he did, the person he was. There's less in Mark about the words that Jesus, or the sermons and the teaching of Jesus, but in Mark, more the activity, the, the personality, the, the, the work that he accomplished to show us himself, to, to give us a sense of his grace. And we're looking at this next snapshot, as it were, um, in, uh, in Mark. Uh, I'm going to start reading, as you have it there, you have the fuller passage, but I'm just going to Read one, a uh, couple of paragraphs towards the end of what you have there, starting uh, Mark one chapter, uh, Mark chapter one verse nine. A couple of paragraphs. Follow along. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be in our thinking today, be in our feeling, in our, in our captivation, be in our decision-making, in our yielding, in our, our mind, our heart, and our will, that you would change them to be in conformity with you, and thus experience the joy of life, um, the fullest expression of who we are meant to be as we find our connection and, uh, and forgiveness in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was a kid, which is getting further and further ago, uh, when I was a kid, um, I went to, when I was in elementary school, I'm not sure what grade I was in, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, they had a program, they had a sort of thing that they would do. I'm not sure they do, I'm not, I'm not researched this with my kids or my grandkids, whether they still do this uh, anymore, but back in the day... Uh, they had this thing called where, where every, every so many months, 
uh, a police officer would come in, and it was, and he was known as Officer Friendly. And I believe, as I research, as I as I grew older, it was sort of a, it was Officer Friendly program. It was like a it was like a like a, a, a an event, an, an aspect of what was going on of our education and what what the officer would come in. He would he'd come in and he'd be very friendly. Friendly, officer friendly. He would come in and he'd, and he'd show us things. He'd have papers or little coloring things or little, and tell us a story. Or he'd, we'd sit around him and we'd get to, you know, touch, you know, touch his badge or, 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 you know, some, his hat and some of the things. That it, would, it would decrease the mystery of what a police officer was. And really the point of it was to say, hey, if you see, if you see an officer, wave. He's a friendly person. And if it come up, approach him. And he's here to protect us. And he's here to make life better and, and make your world safer and, and, and engage in that to break down the barrier that existed. It really did work. And so briefly, right between, right between wanting to be a trash man and an astronaut, I wanted to be a police officer. Because I thought it was the coolest thing in the world to be, you know, helping people and to make them feel safe and friendly in some capacity. But then I want to be an astronaut. Um, this last week, okay, that was my upbringing. That was the sort of imprint that that was meant to make. Last week, I'm turning out, um, I'm heading over to Gettysburg, and as, I, as I'm going down uh, Route 116, um, I passed by a little parking lot, and as I'm passing by, I notice that the car that's about to pull out of the parking lot is a police car. And as I passed, there was nobody behind me. He pulled right behind me and was coming the same direction on 116. And he was right behind me. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but if it has, I want you to think with me, how did that make you feel? Because at that moment, and for the length of time he was behind me, I'm going, in my head, I'm going, how fast am I going? Is my seatbelt on? How, is, is, the, is the inspection registration on my car intact? Do I, have any, do I have anything that's wrong? Did I go over the line? Am I too close to the line? Am I following too close to the person in front of me? I'm running through every possible thing in my mind. Are my taillights out? Do I, did I check? Things I wouldn't normally check. And a couple of those things that I was checking, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. I was a little concerned about that. I thought for a minute, and then I'm going, where's my phone? Am I, do I hold, and unfortunately, I don't hold my phone. So I have my phone. You know, all the things. It, the image of Officer Friendly was not in my head. At that, for that length of time, and fortunately, fortunately, he turned off the road, and I could relax. I could feel better about my travel over to Gettysburg. I was, I was ill at ease for the for the for the five minutes or whatever he was on the road. I don't know what he was. I don't know what he was doing. But Officer Friendly was not making me feel friendly, at that moment for those five minutes of time frame, and it, it was making it was filling me with ill at ease. It was filling me with dread. It was filling me with an expectation. It was filling me with fear. It was filling me with this sense of somehow this. I want this to end. I want him to go away. I don't want him around me. Why do I tell you that? And maybe you've been in a situation like that. I hope you have. Helps the helps the point to come across. 
because there's a little bit of that that is going on in this passage. I want that image, I want that idea to be to to to, to fill your mind a little bit as we as we think about this passage. There's a sense where what was going on with me with the police officer was this behind me, traveling behind me, is that how I understood my relationship to him is what drove my sense of life at that moment. When I was a kid, when I'm eight years old, it's officer friendly, I want to be, be a police officer. I want to be around police officers. I wanna, they're, they're great. There's nothing. There's, it's a wonderful experience. And how can I? Hey, there's a policeman. Let me go over. And I think there were times where I saw police officers and I wanted to go over there. My mom would say, no, 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 no. He's busy. But that's not what they're telling me in school. He's not busy. He's happy. to. And isn't every police officer officer friendly? That's the way it seemed. How did, how how do, you, how do you go, why would, I, why would I be drawn to him in one context and then now fear him in another context or her in another context here? Because the way I understand the nature of the person, the way I understand the nature of the relationship is what drives my sense of life and drives my sense of connectedness in those moments. And the same thing is true in this, in this capacity when it relates to God. How we understand him how we understand the relationship and who he is determines how I respond to him, how I respond to life, how I, how I enjoy life in that capacity in terms of who God is in my life. And this passage, this snapshot of who Jesus is, is trying to tell us is trying, what Mark is saying to us in this capacity. And he's telling us this throughout all of them. But here's the first snapshot where he's saying, let me tell you who God is. Let me tell you how you are to understand him. Let me tell you the nature of your relationship to God himself. Because unless you understand that relationship, unless you understand it properly, unless you're telling yourself the truth and understanding it truthfully, you are going to, you're not going to experience life to the fullest. And you're not going you're, you're to have a, a thriving, nurturing experience with God himself. Because the thing is, in order to live our lives, in order to live properly, in order to live boldly, in order to live confidently, in order to live in, in this world, to accomplish something, uh, we tell ourselves lies. We live, we live out of lies. We, t- we don't know they're lies. We, t- we think we're telling ourselves the truth, but they're actually lies. And, and as we look at this passage, I want to see, see it through the, this lens, that there are lies that we tell ourselves, but there's a truth that we need, and then there's a power that it provides, that truth. The lies we tell ourselves, let me tell you, here, here's, here's some of the lies in order to live boldly, in order to live confidently, in order to live in a world where, we're chat, where, we, where we can live in, in a risky place, where we can live in a dangerous place, where we can live through the struggles of our lives, we tell ourselves this, I'm, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. And sometimes we get up each day, and sometimes in those moments, these are, and, and, and the various, various subcategories of, of 
things we tell ourselves in order to get by. We're about ready to go to a party. And we say to ourselves, it doesn't matter what these people think of me. All that matters is what I think of me. And I am a, and I am a vibrant person. And I am a bold person. And, and people do like me, even though these people might not like me. And I'm just going to go, and I'm going to live in that context. And, 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 and hopefully, hopefully thrive. And the reason I say that we tell ourselves these things, we tell ourselves these things to motivate a sense of power, to motivate a sense of engagement, to motivate a sense of, of life, of fullness, of abundance, of, uh, to take away the fear, to take away the unease. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the place of a party. I'm at the place of, of, go, of starting a new job. I'm, I'm at the place of engaging some hard aspect of life, some hardship. I, I'm good enough to this. I'm, I'm up to this task. I'm smart enough. I can do this. I've been to school. I've been through these things, even if it just means getting ready for work on Monday. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And people like me. Those lies, those, and I, those ideas we tell ourselves in order to motivate change, in order to motivate power, in order to motivate confidence, the reason I say that they're not simply ideas, but they're lies, is because in the middle of them, in the middle of those experiences, you question whether you're good enough. And if you're honest, you're examining your life and you're realizing, you know, I told myself I'm good enough, but I'm really not. I'm really mostly a failure and mostly I mess up and mostly, I'm, mostly I've let myself down and I've let people down and I'm not and I don't know how confident I am, and I don't feel like I'm, I have, any, have it all together. And, and you know, I, I, I'm smart enough. But really, there are a lot of people that are smarter than I am. I don't think well on my feet. I'm not even doing the job that I was trained to do. I'm not even, this isn't even in my, in my, in my field of, of study. People like me. Do they really? Are they lying to me? When I really think about it, who are my friends? And are they really my friends because of who I really am or who they think I am? Are they my friends because of what I do for them or because of what they really, truly love me? Am I, do, am I, do people really like me? Am I really that engaging? I'm more just a drama queen most of the time. And I bring nothing but discouragement and darkness to a situation. And all I am is talking about all the negative things. Do, do, do you see how these ideas, in the, in the early flush of, of needing them, we tell ourselves these ideas in order to motivate a sense of confidence and change, motivate a sense of, of fearlessness and, and uh, courage, but they break down in the middle when we honestly consider who we really are because we are broken people who are not good enough, and we know it. We are not smart enough, and we feel it. And we don't, and we're uncertain whether people really do like us. And those motivating ideas break down in the middle of, the, uh, in the middle of life and, what, and, and they become the lies that now I don't know whether I can believe them. So what then can motivate courage? What then can motivate a sense of risk-taking? What then can motivate my life to live abundantly and fearlessly and openly and, and, and engaging around me the people that I must? and to do the jobs and, and tasks that are before me to love and to care for others. What motivates me if, I, if not these ideas? This passage tells us 
one motive. It's the truth that we need. Isn't what you think of yourself. It's not the favor. It's not the idea. It's not the, it's not the sense of self-confidence. It's not the sense of self-acceptance that you need. Because self-acceptance breaks down. Because the lies that you tell yourself, the, 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 the understanding of yourself that breaks down is more powerful. You know, the, the, the idea that what other people think of me is not important, but only what's important is what I think of me. You are your own worst enemy when it comes to that. But the more powerful, motivating factor isn't what other people think of you, even though encouragement and affirmation are very powerful. You can't count on it because more than likely, people don't tell you what they think is true of you. And what you think of you is not powerful because it breaks down in the midst of your own sense of what you know about yourself and the, and the failure in your life. But what, is, what will never break down is what this passage tells Jesus. God the Father came to his son in the midst of his inaugurating his ministry and he said, you are my son. I love you. And I am so pleased with you. The father doted upon his son in that moment. Right before he goes into the wilderness, right before he starts his ministry, right before he embarks upon the great work that he was about to undertake, which was to bring about salvation, to own the sin of his people for himself, to take upon the, the weight of their sin, not just the weight of their sin, not just the weight of their brokenness, not just the weight of their failure, huge weight, huge, ama huge amazing shame and guilt. Can you, you imagine your own guilt? Don't imagine it long, just quickly. We got a sermon to go through here. Imagine your own shame, briefly. Now imagine that times the largest number you can think of and now place it into the life of one person, Jesus himself. That's weighty. It's huge. It's debilitating, to say the least. These words are small compared to what it actually was, the weight of what Jesus was called to do, what his ministry was about to embark upon, and the temptation to give in to that, huge. And then not only that, to bear the weight of the shame and guilt of his people, to bear their unrighteousness and their brokenness, to bear the culpability of all those things, and then to bear the wrath of God because of them to bear the penalty of all of that in one human experience. Huge weight. Jesus was about to embark upon that. And the motivating factor he provided for him is to remember the relationship he had with his son. To remember, no matter what you embark, no matter what you engage, no matter what wilderness you, you, you experience, no matter how hard the temptation, let me remind you of who you are. You are my son. And I am in love with you. And I am so pleased with you. The great 
preacher from England in the, I want to say, 19th century said this. Spurgeon, Charles Hayden Spurgeon said this. While I regarded God as a tyrant, I thought my sin a trifle. But when I knew him to be my father, then I mourned that I could ever have kicked against him. When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could ever have rebelled against the one who loved me so and sought my good. The truth, the truth about God is that he loves his children. He makes his people his kids. He makes them his favored child. He, he dotes upon them. He loves them. And he says to them through the work of Jesus, what, what, what you are to me is what my son is to me, what my Jesus is to me, you are to me. I love you. And I am so pleased with you. You ever seen the movie Lion King? Great classic. All, the, all these Diggs, Disney Pixar movies are, are amazing. The storytelling is amazing. The Lion King. Simba, young prince king. Through a set of circumstances, he believes a lie that he was responsible for the death of his father and therefore unworthy to be king. He runs from Pride Rock. Runs, runs, runs from, uh, from, from his uncle Scar out of threat of death or to reveal that it was him who killed him when actually it was Scar who did it. He runs from Pride Rock not, not only because of the threat of death but from the threat of his own guilt, from the threat of his own shame, from, from the threat of his own, I'm not good enough. Living in fear living abandoned, living alone, living out of, out, out of his own guilt and shame. But knowing that he had to return to be king. But he never thought of himself as king until finally Raviki, who's the great high priest in the movie, the monkey, Smacks him on the head with his staff and shows him a vision of his father in the, as he's looking at his own reflection in the pond. And he hears the voice of his father from above and he says, and I can't do this right because it's James Earl Jones. He says, you are my son. You are king. And then he runs back to Pride Rock to reclaim what was his. What motivated the change, what gave Simba the courage was to see himself for who he actually was, not for what he thought he was. The lies, believing the lies in his own head. And you and I believe lies which lead us down roads of fear, lead us down roads of brokenness and sin, lead us down roads of failing to choose what is right, what, but what 
Jesus, what this experience with Jesus and his father tells us is that the power of your new identity in Christ, of the identity you actually have in Christ is that you are his favored child, his wonderful son and daughter whom he loves, whom he is pleased, with whom he is pleased. That emboldens the spirit. It, 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 it makes the, the soul courageous, which is why Jesus says that the spirit right after this led him into the wilderness. The power that it provides is to overcome any wilderness, any dry season, any, any moment or, or 40 days of moments of temptation and dread. The only thing that will make you live, the only thing that will provide you with sustenance, the only thing that will give you the power to live in the desert is to know whose you are and what he thinks of you. Short of that, you have no power. Short of that, you will succumb. Think of Jesus here. If at any moment, if in a flash, if in a flash flash of a thought, if at any point in that 40 days, or even in his whole life, if at any point in that 40 days, Jesus had in a flash thought to himself something sinful or relied upon some other option, your hope, my hope for salvation is lost. The plan is destroyed. One flash, one momentary lapse of thinking. But what kept him in that moment was, was the power of the favor of his father. And what will keep you in those moments is the power of the favor of your father. Learning, understanding that that is true, but then living out of the treasure that that is, that you are his treasured possession, that you are his most beloved child, that he is moving heaven and earth in order to make that. And this is how it's been from the very beginning, because you notice at this, you notice at this place, this is a unique place in the history of Jesus' life in this snapshot. Not only do we have the baptism of Jesus, but in one place in human history, we have the presence of the Father through the voice from heaven. We have the presence of the Son in the baptism of Christ rising up from the, from the edge of the water. And then the presence of the Holy Spirit descending upon him as a dove. In that place, we have the Holy Trinity, the, the first family, as it were, that, has, that have existed from all eternity. And so the essence of life is love, is a loving relationship. The essence of life is not a singular God that demands, that demands perfection and is seeking some love in a relationship. God, the, God in, in his, in his pre-existence to, to creation... God, the, 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 the triumphant God, the, the, the Trinity himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing from eternity past, did not create the world in order to experience love, to be loved, because in the essence of himself, he was love. The relationship of love existed between the three of them. They lived in the harmony of the love that existed in that relationship. They did not need, he did not need to experience a loving relationship for he was a loving relationship. Why then would he ever create humanity? Why then did he ever decide to create Adam and Eve? Why would he set this world ablaze with his love and with his creative power? Why did he start that from the minute in the beginning God created the heavens? Why? If not to experience love from that which he created. He did not need 
to experience a loving relationship, for he already had it. It was to include us in a loving relationship. It was to draw us into the community that he already had shaped, already, already had experienced. The essence of his nature is a communing, loving, connected relationship. And what he was doing in creation was, say, was creating more and that we would experience the fullness of it. It wasn't to receive love that he made us. It was to give it, to include it into our lives. And that's what Jesus came to restore. We broke it. We broke it at the very beginning. Adam and Eve were made, given utter amazing circumstances, a plush green humanity, everything operating without, without any sense of of disorder. Adam and Eve lived amongst this creation, blooming, blossoming, fertile with their touch, fertile with their activity, nothing, nothing set, set asunder, living with the animals at peace and harmony with no sense of no sense of, of, uh, of disconnection. That's why uh, the Narnia tales that, that C.S. Lewis told years ago, written, and you've seen some of them. So I'd, encourage you to, I'd encourage you to read them or, or encourage you to, to watch the movies, especially The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The, the, there's a unique, and you think it's, you think it's uh, uh, childlike to some extent because the, 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 way that the, the way that the children in Narnia relate to the animals and the way the animals relate to children in the book of Narnia, you think, that's odd, that's magical. Well, that's because we live in the world we live. But what, but what C.S. Lewis was doing was saying, if we lived in the world the way God made it, what would our connection with animals actually be? What would that look like? Would they talk to us? Would they relate to us? Would, they, would we be so fearful of them? Would there be some sort of disconnection? But no, in the, in the garden, they lived with, in such great harmony. And then, and then Satan came and tempted us with one question, with one temptation, and we gave in. And that temptation was, would you, re, would you rather rely on God or would you rather rely on you? And we decided we'd rather rely on me. Self-reliance is temptation. And Jesus, in his temptations, it says that the Spirit immediately uh, led him into the, into the wilderness. And, and we don't have a full account. All we have is a little bit of an account here. But the fuller accounts in the other Gospels tell us that when Satan came, the questions he was asking Jesus, all three of, the entry, all three of, the, of what the Gospel tells, he was there for 40 days. There was a ton, ton of it going on. But, G, but each of the Gospels gives us, or, the, or, or some of the Gospels give us a snippet. And the three snippets they give us, each of them was, Will you provide for yourself? Will you rely on yourself? Will you do this yourself? Or will you rely on your Father? And Jesus each time says, I'm not going to turn this, this, these rocks into bread because when he decides to provide for me, I will be provided for. I will not cast myself over this and be caught by the angels. That is not, that, I'm not going to prove what my Father can or can't do. I'm going to rely upon him. I'm not going to bow down to you and get to the end of this story quicker. I'm going to follow my father's plan. I'm going to bow down to him and let his plan, no matter how far it takes me. It was self-reliance, and that's the nature of sin. It's all self-reliance, self-salvation. That's why our prayer of confession this morning talks about the way we try to self-save. We self-save by doing broken things, by providing for our needs in the moment, and often those are sinful things, but we also self-save by doing the right thing for the wrong reason. 
by being moral, by being the best we can possibly be so that we can earn God's love when that's the most disrespectful of all the things because God says, you can't earn what I want to give you. It's not for sale. I favor you. I love you. I make you my child because of what I want to do, not because of what you can't do. And I made it possible by the work of my son. And when we, re- when we resonate with that, when we vibrate to that frequency, it makes us able to live in a wilderness with life. It makes us able to resist the broken temptations and fears that would lead us to a, to a life that does not have abundance. Because just the same as when Adam was set up, was set. Uh, uh, loose in, in a plush oasis of creation. We see Jesus, the next Adam, he was set loose in an utter wasteland of creation and amidst the wild animals. And while Adam was set loose in the oasis in harmony and failed, Jesus was set loose in an utter wasteland of rebellion and succeeded. And because he did, you are a child as you trust in Christ. You are loved by him as you feel the love that he provides at the cross. And you are empowered to live out of that favor. No matter how deep and dark and dry and lonely the wasteland is, because he says, I love you. You're mine. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Pray that you teach us how to live boldly and confidently, live humbly and securely in the midst of our different wasteland experiences because of what you've done for us in Christ at the cross. Let it it sink deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.